morning. Uh, we're in this uh, interesting space where we've been in the conversation regarding prayer since the beginning of the year. Uh, we kind of moved into what it looks like to fight through prayer. And uh, so next Sunday, we're actually going to dive into a, like a, a leading up to Easter. And so I encourage you to be here as we uh, kind of journey together through the season of Lent. And we talk about what that looks like and get prepared for the uh, coming of Jesus or uh, the arrival of the Savior. But today, we're in this in-between liminal space where I wanted to squeeze in just a, a, a real quick conversation about the church. Because here's what I know about you, um, and it's the same ideally for me, is that you're uh, a remarkable, fearfully and wonderfully made person. That I don't know all of you, but I do believe truly that you are unique and beautiful, uh, that you possess uh, a lot of skill sets and gifts and, and talents, that you are a wonderful person. But you're not enough. What I know about you and what I know about me is we are wonderful people with a lot of opportunities and a lot of uh, potential but we're not enough. And the reason that we gather here together is because we can walk into a space like this, bring our skill sets, bring our passions, bring our joys and our sufferings and our struggles and our, uh, our gifts and our abilities, and we bring them together in this weird melting pot called embrace. And together we become stronger. And I think that is the picture of the church that God imagined. is not an individual or a few individuals exceeding, excelling, and doing, and everyone else passively watching, but God imagined for us to bind together, work together, pull resources together, and we become stronger when we work and, and move and operate within our gifts together. But a lot of people have decided that they don't need church. Some have decided that it's online-only church, and we're happy you're with us. Some have decided that it's just a podcast. Some have merely decided that they didn't need church at all. In fact, there's uh, this dilemma in human history where we want to eliminate the church as uh, an important part of our uh, regular rhythms of life. And it's not that online is not great. It's not that podcasts aren't great. It's uh, not that sleeping in on Sunday isn't desirable for all of us. It's that we've chosen... To not go through life alone, we've chosen not to be isolated, islands, individually trying to make a difference in the world. We've chosen Embrace Church or the church as the vehicle in which we are wanting to see the biggest impact and change made, not just in our community, city, state, and beyond, but the world. And the problem that I'm seeing is that the average church size in 2005 was 129 people. 2005, 129 people was the average church size, and I remember it. I had a front row seat to it. Church was important. It was a vital part of your life, my life, uh, and, and people were there. Uh, today, 2024, the average church size is 40. Congrats. If you're here today, you're above average at something. 40 uh, is the average church size in America. Somehow, from 2005 to now, we've dramatically stopped coming to church as people. And I don't understand 
understand it, uh, frustrated by it, because I understand the importance of church. We've seen uh, psychologically, we've seen scientifically, we've seen uh, not just spiritually, but also practically that the church is beneficial. It's been proven by neurologists that if you'll regularly attend worship and, and pray, it actually increases your cognitive abilities and, and brings healing and health to your bodies. And then spiritually, we know we need one another. We can't do life alone. And so if we know practically, spiritually, and scientifically the importance of church, where's everybody at? What's everybody doing? I started my ministry uh, as a youth pastor, as almost everyone does, and uh, I actually worked for my dad. I was super young. I had no business doing what I was doing, but I was doing it, and he let me make a lot of mistakes, and, and I did that for a long time, several, quite a few years. And over the years, I began to realize that the youth pastor's job primarily is to try to convince teenagers who don't want to go to church to come to church. And the primary job, you get involved, you go to like ball games. I can still today spot a youth pastor at a, at a sporting event because it's a skill set I have. I'm like, there you are. Uh, I see you and I see you. And so their primary job was get involved in people's lives, uh, teenagers' lives, and, and largely convince teenagers who are apathetic by nature to be excited about God and come to church. And you get praised by parents who are churched when your teenager does. And so there's this challenge to go, well, I've got to make this seem interesting. And so uh, youth ministries in the 90s, we were like Xbox or whatever, you know, video games and pizza and games. And we broke this kid's leg one time. I mean, he broke it himself, but we did like this game with a strobe light and he broke his leg. I felt bad, but I mean, we were just trying to create excitement because you had to, had to get people to come. And over the years, people would say, well, you're going to get too old for youth ministry. And I'm like, no, I'm a youth minister at heart. And I got too old for youth ministry. And so I started pastoring a church. And I thought, this is going to be easier. I'm going to pastor adults. And it didn't take long for me to realize that not only was I still trying to convince people who didn't want to come to church to come to church, I then had to convince them to give of their income so that we could have a church to be. And I realized this is a lot harder. But Why? A lot of churches now have slid into, well, we've got to create an exciting, entertaining environment because adults are just as apathetic as teenagers were in the 90s. And so we put on a show or we have camels come through the building and we have lights and all this stuff and it's got to be awesome and exciting and energizing and we just hope people love to come to church. And I'm looking at this going, I don't want to do that. Why can't people just understand the importance of community? Why, as human beings, are we so content with going at life on our own that we don't realize the power and the potential that, that is held within the church? And I think one of the issues, and it's multi-layered, and I don't understand all of it, but one of the problems is people think that church is for them. So they go, well, I don't need church today, but I might need it next week, and I might need it a month from now, but I don't need it now. And so we attend based on convenience. We attend based on whether we need it or not. Is church for me? And we've failed to realize that you're needed. It's not so much do I need church as much as I am needed at church. When we begin to realize what we do together we don't want to miss. We don't want to skip. We don't want to not be here. And a lot of people say, well, church isn't perfect. No, it's not perfect. In fact, there's no organization, there's no institution, there's no uh, educational uh, space, there's no uh, job on this planet that is perfect. And yet daily we all put up with imperfect environments, uh, heretical people, and, and, and we just deal with it because we receive a paycheck because of it. And we call it a job and we just deal with it. But when we come to church, we go, it's supposed to be perfect. 
And yet it's not because you're here and I'm here. And we're imperfect people bound together, deciding that it's better to go at life together than it is to try to go alone. I've tried alone. It doesn't work. It's hard. Here together, it's hard too. I'm going to rub you the wrong way. I'm going to say something you don't like. I'm going to pass you in the hall. I'm going to do something that you go, I don't know, you know. And you're going to do the same to me. You're going to make me mad. You're going to say something that hits me the wrong way. I'm going to pour my heart and soul into something and you're not going to notice. And I'm going to get angry. And what we do, though, is instead of going our separate ways, because this is hard, we go, I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to push past personal feelings, thoughts, hurts, and I'm going to see if community is actually stronger if we fight together. I mean, my marriage, we were married for 20, 21 years, I'm pretty sure, maybe 22. Uh, it was just, we had an anniversary the other day. I was married in 21, so whatever that math is. Regardless, um, she doesn't know either, so we're fine. Uh, we're stronger because we've had a lot of hardship, a lot of hardship. And it's through hardship that we get stronger. And the saddest thing that I see in the church, and I've been in it all my life, literally since I was tiny, the saddest thing is when I see someone invest their life in it, they get a little hurt, and they they take off. It's like a marriage that gets divorced, and you're like, why couldn't you just try to work it out? Why are we all so committed out of convenience? We're vacationing in and out of each other's lives. But so much more can be done when we understand what we can do together and in longevity. Uh, I'm learning the value of longevity. This, his, this church has a deep history and people have been here their entire lives. Uh, someone 80, 90 years uh, of life and they've been here their whole lives and they've committed and they've gone through hardships and they've worked things out. But because of technology and our, our, our abilities and desires to be uh, self-sufficient, we've decided that we can get everything that we need uh, somewhere else. And I'll be honest. I'll be the first to tell you. You're going to find a lot better sermons online. You're going to find people who have a team of writers who are crafting messages for, you know, months at a time. I know, I have a friend who's a researcher for somebody, and he does the work to make their messages better. You're going to find people who have better analogies and better stories and probably look better. But that's not the point. If you come here for a sermon, you've missed the point. And that's what we can't get online. It can't be replicated or duplicated. We love to have online and we love to have podcasting. And, you know, we have sometimes more people listen to the service uh, online than in the room. And, and, and that's great. We celebrate that. But the reality is you need to be here. You can't duplicate or replicate. But if you think the point of church is getting information, you don't have to be here. You can go anywhere. You can find better music and better sermons. Can I make fun of you too? Sorry. If you can find better content But you can't find better community. And the thing that we do here that matters the most is we point people to the table of the Lord. You can't replicate singing together, hearing one another slightly off tune and a little out of pitch. You can't can't duplicate what it means to breathe the same air. You can't duplicate online what it means for us to work together. See, the modern church, uh, or the the church in history, rather, has created this idea that the senior pastor does everything. So you've hired a minister, you've hired a preacher, whatever title you want to give me, and and you go, well, he has to do things. And so we look at church and we go, well, we don't have a a cares ministry, and so the pastor should lead it. We don't have a a nursery, the pastor should lead it. I'm not sure how that would work, but we don't have a, a Sunday school class for this or that, and we don't have groups. The pastor should lead it. And that's how the church has worked by and large. I mean, after all, you're, you're paid to be here. What do you do all day? You preach 45 minutes on a Sunday. And so the idea has always been, if we want more, the pastor must do more. And that's actually not the biblical model for church. 
that I believe the church over any other institution has the power to change the world, but it only works when we follow the biblical model and we actually do it together. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm pretty limited. I'm actually real limited, and you're limited, and you're limited, and we're all limited. When we work together, we become stronger, and that's the picture of the church that Christ imagined is us working together. It's not about a facility or a building. Uh, We'll pay this building off this year. I believe that. And, but what are we going to do next? Buy another building? We're not in the real estate business. You and I are in the people business, and the business is good, but it's only going to work if we understand how we work together. And Paul ends up describing what it looks like uh, for the church to move and work and operate together, even though it's messy, even though it's challenging, even though it has its downfalls, and, 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 and are people hypocrites in church? Absolutely they are. Are people sinners in church? 100%. Sinners are welcome here. They're wanted here, but we still still have to figure out how to move forward together. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it describes what it looks like for us to build a church like Christ imagined. It says, for as the body is one, and it has many parts, and all of the parts that the body, though many are one, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. You are the many. I am the many. We are the many. Now the creation of the human body is fantastic. The more you study the human body and you understand the human body, the more you're amazed and wowed at what God did. But the most miraculous thing was done when God chose to use us to fulfill his mission here on earth. Can you imagine having a super nice car that you built from the scratch, if that's even possible, and you just turn it over to your 15-year-old to drive around? No, you wouldn't do that. Why would God create this beautiful, eloquent, intricate system and then pass it on to flawed, failure-driven people like you and I? That the most miraculous thing is that God has called us to be his hands and his feet, and we've been invited to take part in building the kingdom of God through the local church, and I think that's pretty exciting. That what one can do alone is great, but what all of us can do together is fantastic, that we have the potential to build something that creates a lasting impact that doesn't just shape and change uh, our community, but it can go beyond us. And one of the great challenges as we move together as a community of faith is that we have to figure out how to carry out God's mission while also uh, fighting our fleshly desire to be comfortable. It's comfortable to hire a pastor and have him do all of the work. That's comfortable. That puts uh, you as a consumer and, and, and me as a deliverer, creator, and, 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 and that dynamic just doesn't work long term, or it works up to a point. But when we begin to realize that we're all artists at work, we're all uh, called and minister to ministry and to, to do the Lord's work, we begin to realize that where I'm limited, you might be strong, and where you're limited, someone near you may be strong. And sacrifice and generosity, they're signs of our agility and our fearlessness where the sacrifice of, and generosity are essential parts of, of moving forward together where we're giving and we're loving and we're serving and we're sharing. And you cannot change the world if you desire to stay comfortable. So we move and we shift and we get out of what's comfortable to us and God has given you and I specific gifts. He has. He's given us gifts. And it's a little different than a talent. It's a, a spiritual gift that God has given you to utilize within the body of Christ. He's given you something that's unique and, uh, and special because you are unique and you are special. And God has created you to in, in find ways to use the gifts that he's given you to benefit the church. So the first thing I need you to know is that your gifts, 
as wonderful as they are, are not yours. I think a large part of what we imagine is, this is my gift. You've given it to me. But our gifts that God has given us are not for our benefit, but they're for God's. What has God gifted you with to do that can bless others, that can point people to Jesus? In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? The whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. You're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. I don't know why you're here. You might be here for a moment. You might be here for a movement. But you're not here by accident. That God is moving parts of the body in to create something. You bring something here that's not already here. You offer something. God has given you something that's not here. And as long as we think church is for me, it's easy to check out. When we start to believe that there are people counting on us, we step up. We rally. We need the hand, and we need the foot, and we need the eyes, both of them. The problem with a pastor-centric model is that I might be an eye, but what's a body with just one eye? That's just weird. We need two eyes. Where do we get another? Do we hire another staff? Maybe. But then we need two ears. Do we hire two more? And, and on and on. And the idea then is that we're lacking because us as a church, as people, aren't seeing your God-given potential and stepping up into what God has called you to do. But you can imagine a, a beautiful painter who refuses to share their work. A musician or a videographer, who, a filmmaker who refuses to share their, their creativity. That as long as we hold on to our gifts and we don't share them with others, people are lacking. People are missing. They're missing out on what you bring to the table. And when you begin to share your gifts with others, there's a natural tendency to compare. Well, I'm not this. I don't have that. I must not be near as important. But even worse, I think what happens more often in the context of church is that we don't compare gifts. We compare who uses their gifts more often. Well, I've been greeting for three weeks in a row. I haven't seen that person greet. I send out five cards a week, but I haven't seen anybody else send a card out. We start to compare to see who's done more and who's not carrying their weight. And it's not for us to judge who's carrying their weight here. It's for us to give and give and give. And not to wear yourself out and on and on. And there's a natural rhythm that we have to adhere to. So I'm not advocating burnout. But what I am advocating is not comparing the eye with the ear and the hand with the nose and on and on. We don't know what people are doing. There's so much happening at this church behind the scenes. You'd be shocked. I love it. I love be having the, the, being able to see people do things. And, and over Christmas, somebody gave me uh, a lot of cash to give away uh, without them knowing. And, uh, you know, like there's just stuff that happens that not everybody knows about. And I'm fortunate to be able to see a lot of it. But there's things that I don't even see that we're moving as a body. And so there's a natural tendency to start comparing and contrasting. And, and that's unhealthy, We're all the body. Do the part. Fulfill the role that God's given you. God has created us unique, and we use our uniqueness as a responsibility, not necessarily a virtue, and we move forward. But here's the thing. If you've ever um, seen like a a marionette or a puppet, and things just kind of flop around until, you know, they get it straight and they know what they're doing, the body can often be like that, where everybody's doing their own thing, and, you know, we don't really have any direction or clear understanding, and, and the eye's out doing the eye thing, and hands are out doing hand things. And so here... We have five purposes. 
And those five purposes give us alignment. They give us structure. So we believe that this is what makes us uh, uh, unified, where you can begin to look at your gifts What is it that you see? What is it that you want to have done? What is it that you believe God has called you to do? See how it fits within the purposes of our church, and then we become aligned, and then the body becomes functional. It becomes uh, stronger, and when we're fighting, we got to know what we're fighting for. And so we have these five purposes, and we run everything we do through them, ministries and organizations and everything, whatever we do. It goes through these five purposes, and and I'm going to tell them to you again. Hopefully you already know them, but the first one is discipleship. Discipleship is one of our purposes. So what we can do is look and see, well, how are we discipling people? We've been called to disciple people. So are we doing it? We know we have Sunday school, and that's a a, a large part of our discipleship, but we can do better. Maybe for you, your desire is to uh, teach, pass down something, and and maybe we have a second Sunday school, or maybe we have uh, some other opportunity online or whatever to disciple people. You say, I'm interested in discipleship. We figure out how that works. The second thing is evangelism. How are we reaching people for Christ? I mean, it's the thing we've been called to do. So who's going to do it? Me? Who's going to do it? We need to evangelize. We need to figure out strategic and important ways, not to be weird or creepy or, or, or demanding, you know, door to door, hey, get, get your life together or whatever. We don't have to do it in a way that doesn't make sense for us, but we have to evangelize. The third is worship. That's in service and out. How is our worship an expression of our lives? The fourth is fellowship. We do this pretty well, but we're always trying to do better. People will come uh, maybe because they drive past or see an ad on Instagram, uh, but they're going to stay because of fellowship and friendship and community. And so community is really important. It's an important part of what we do. Uh, And then the last one is service. How are we benefiting the community? It starts right here. There's a great opportunity for us to community one. There's an app that allows neighbors to put in their needs if they need their couch moved or their lawn mowed because they can't. We could actually pick that up and go, well, we'll take care of that. Uh, But we need somebody to head it up. Who wants to be a part of that? We need regular service opportunities in our community so that we are outward focused. What happens when we don't serve and we don't evangelize and we don't disciple is that we start going like this. And we go, okay, well, this is, I'm fine. Nicole's here and, and, you know, Ariel's here. And so we're good, you know, Darlene and Mark are here. You know, the regulars, we're here. And so we're fine. But what we need to do is go, well, who's out there that needs community? And if we're only looking at ourselves and solving our own problems, we're never really looking out and we're missing an opportunity. And so we have to start taking an inventory of where we are, what we need to be doing. And then we all individually can go, well, this is something I'm interested in. Well, let's see how it fits and let's go. Because your spiritual gifts help define us, our capacity. You and I are redefining church for people. A lot of people have left church because of the reputation But it's the reputation that people have given church. Jesus said that the church is uh, built on his name and his confession. It's on uh, the rock that it stands in the gates of hell, can't stand against it. And so we're the ones that have tainted the word church for people. But if we've tainted it, we can also reclaim it. When people begin to see us and how we move and operate in love and care and we give compassion and grace, then they begin to take note. And they begin to see how we operate and we can redefine church. There are people who have been hurt by church. We have an opportunity to bring healing. Let's try it again. Let's do it better. We're not perfect, but we're going to do it better than we've done. That the picture of church is us working together, not separate. And our church will grow when we realize that we cannot do this alone. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need for you. We're all needed. The second thing is your gift is valuable. Your gift is valuable. You may not feel valued, but you are invaluable to God. He wouldn't have gone to the extent that he went to to set you free and to bring you to salvation if 
you weren't valued. 1 Corinthians 12, 21, I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Verse 22, but even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. So you say, well, I'm the weakest one here. Yeah, you are maybe, but you're necessary. The weakest among us, necessary. We can't say we don't need you. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. I love this. Not only do we work together, but those who feel like they're the weakest or have the least to offer are the most honored. That we're all diverse. And it works out because uh, we live in a very diverse day and time. This is uh, quite diverse. In fact, uh, it, it, even in our city, even though it's not as diverse as many others, it is still diverse. And each one of you, you represent a different demographic. You represent someone that others don't. There are people that you're around and you gravitate towards you and, and that you reach on a regular basis that the others don't reach. And, and God has placed you uniquely and strategically in, in your workplace or your school zone or your, your neighborhood. And he's, he's done this so that you may reach people like you. See, a lot of times when we think we're ministers, we go, well, I either have to preach, pastor a church, or uh, I got to go on a mission field somewhere. So like Africa, Asia, I don't know, China, uh, I got to get out of here. But many of us ignore the people closest to us. Ministry starts with your neighbors. I'm challenged with this all the time because I really like to pull into my driveway, into my garage, close it, and not see my neighbors. I like to not know the people around me. I like anonymity, uh, which is odd for someone who does this, but I don't like to, uh, to do that. And so I'm constantly challenged out of what's comfortable for me. Have I ministered to my neighbors? You can minister to people here, but have I ministered to my neighbors? It starts with the people closest to us, that you and your gifts, they're extremely valuable. And we relate to people that, you, uh, that others don't. And we reach people, and we minister to people. We've been called to do what God has gifted us to do. But will we do it? Will we step into our God-given calling and realize that we all play a vital role in the uh, church, that we're not just consumers, we're not just attenders, that we are part of the body, we are members of the body, and from uh, the moment someone drives into this property to the time they leave, and really when they're home online, there should be some ministry transpiring. We should be sending the love of God that your gifts are valuable. They're valuable to this church, and, and, and I want us to grow, but I think it's more important that we grow as a people. And as we grow as, as individuals in our faith and our trust, then the church will grow and we fail if we don't grow in faith in the process. And so we have a responsibility, you and I, to look deep inside of ourselves and say, what is God inviting me into? And how does it fit? It's not that everything that you have the desire to do is going to happen, and we have to understand that. That's part of the messiness. You may have a desire to have a sand volleyball ministry. Well, that may or may not work out. We'll talk about it. But we also have to understand there are people sitting on gifts with ideas that need to be instituted, and we need to get moving. And I would rather expedite and not work out and give it a shot than to keep holding our gifts as an artist who isn't willing to share. We need to be willing to prepare ourselves and our church for what God wants to do here. The third thing is that your gifts are meant for community. Gifts are only gifts when they're shared. And our volunteers here are the heart and soul of our church. 
We're not a church with volunteers. We're a church largely of volunteers, people giving of their time and their energy and their effort. And we wouldn't be where we are if it weren't for men and women who uh, have sacrificed their time and efforts, not just on Sundays through greeting and childcare and, uh, and, and providing services here and uh, media and on and on, but people during the week. I got five cards from this church on my anniversary. I forgot it was my anniversary, and I'm opening cards going, oh, Darlene, thanks for the reminder, you know? It's like, okay, uh, people care. There's a lady named Deanna Becker. She attended our church for years um, before I came, and uh, she had been watching online all the time uh, when I got here, and uh, I got a call from a hospital about a month ago, and it was her. She said, I'd, I'd like to meet with the pastor, and she knew all about me because she had been watching, and I didn't know anything about her, and we quickly developed this uh, friendship and rapport. She told me very quickly that she has leukemia, and that she was in the final stages of her life. She has no children. Her husband's already passed. Um, and, and she really had a, a, a very small circle of friends still alive. She's 80-something years old, 85. Uh, and so she asked uh, for assistance. And uh, so I helped her get into hospice. And uh, I told several people in the church. And all of a sudden, people in the church who'd never met her either started visiting her in hospice on a regular basis. Uh, I won't say names because I don't know that they would even want this, but people who didn't know her sacrificed their time, energy, and effort and went and visited her and spent time with her. And she was in hospice for roughly three weeks. Uh, and Saturday she passed. But she didn't pass alone. She passed in a community of people who love her. And she would repeatedly say when she would become coherent, she'd say, I just can't believe that people in the church who don't know me are coming by and they care. And it reminded me of the beauty of what we're creating here. We're not just gathering together to hear a message and sing some songs and, you know, hit you up for some money and, and then take off. We're creating something that matters here, matter to Deanna, matters to you and I. In our time of need, will people be around us? Do we invest in community and friendships enough to be a part of something bigger than ourselves? That Deanna passed away knowing that there was a church of people that she didn't even know that love her. But how does that filter down into here? What are we doing? With our time and our energy and our efforts, what is our legacy? What are we leaving behind? We want to invest in the next generation. So uh, we're beefing up our nursery and our kids' ministry. And we've been trying to do this for a while. But um, as of, uh, I guess, this week, we're uh, bringing in Anna Smith to uh, coordinate and oversee our nursery. Her primary responsibility is to make sure that our nursery is not child care. It's not daycare, but it's a ministry. It's age-appropriate uh, ministry when you're able to or ministering. And she's not just going to minister to kids, but she's going to minister to volunteers. She's going to make sure they're spiritually cared for. Not only is she going to manage the schedule and, and make sure everything's moving smoothly and clean and, and provided for, she's also going to be recruiting. So if you don't don't want to be in the nursery, don't make eye contact. She's going to be talking to you. <laughs> because nothing's more important than what we do for our children and teach the next generation. We all have this mindset of, is this church going well for me? But none of us have the mindset of, is this church going to go well for people 10 years from now and 20 years from now and 30 years from now? We're all the beneficiaries of the people that have gone before us. The, the, the bumper this morning showed uh, church directories. Those are our church directories of our people who've gone before us, people like Deanna and, and, and Ruby and on and on. Are we going to be those people? 
for the future generation. We're so consumed in here, we're not thinking here, and so we invest in our children's ministry, we invest in our kids' ministry, we make that the best that it possibly can be, and then we still create ministries as we can. We need to be in outreach, and we need to have more classes, and we need to be teaching and educating, but we need to make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that we do this together. It's easy to go, well, I wish he would do that, or I wish she would do that, but you're the one. When you step up and you do what God has called you to do, we become stronger, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. We're diverse, but we're not divided. We are different without being difficult, There's going to be moments when we rub each other the wrong way, but we power past that because we are united around this one statement, our concern for each other. Deanna was proof of that. Our church stepped up and rallied. We were concerned for one another. We're going to disagree on theology. We're going to disagree on uh, practically how we do things. There's going to be stuff that comes up, but we are united under our concern for one another. We are united under our love for Christ and for one another. And the easy thing to do would be to walk away when things don't work out. But the right thing to do, which builds stronger community, is that we power through it. We stop vacationing in and out of each other's lives, and we set up camp. We build a home, and we establish ourselves here, and we say, this is what we're going to do together because I need you. I need you, and you need me, and we want to grow a church, but we need to grow people. We need to grow leaders. We need to grow in our uh, ability and capacity to lead, and I want to equip you and train you, and I want to put you into place. And the challenge is, will we be the church? Not attend a church, will we be the church? Not a building, but will we be the church? A people, a people of God committed to Christ and committed to one another. And when you buy into this mission and you recognize the church as a vehicle that God himself has chosen, then we begin to live out our faith and our mission daily. So I'm inviting you to join me. I'm inviting you to join me alongside uh, of me and, and, and double down, let's commit. You may have been a member here for 30 years, it's time to recommit. It's time we re-up. It's time we look and see, are we, are we giving what God has called us to give? Are we sharing what God has called us to share? Are we loving the way God has called us to love? Is there something here that we've been called to do but we've been reluctant to do? Is there something that God is moving in our hearts to do that uh, we've just been waiting to be called off the bench? Don't wait to be called off the bench. Very rarely will I call someone off the bench. If God has called you to do something, let's talk about it and let's work through it and let's go. Let's move forward. I believe that is God's intention for us is that we start to see this less of what can I do for you because I can only give you so much. I'm deeply flawed myself. But what can we give for each other? What can we do for one another? Can we share and, and, and experience and, and, and suffer and, and, and rejoice together? That's God's intention. That's how we see the kingdom of heaven built here on earth. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning.